reflect light and you're light. But I don't know about you, I don't always feel that light. I don't always feel that lit up, all right? That's why Jesus had to tell us in the Sermon on the Mount, don't put your light under a bushel, let it shine. And I try to let it shine, you know, but there's times when, you know, it, it, it just doesn't. So I've got to constantly go back to the Gospels and see how Jesus really glowed, all right? And I love the Lord, and I love how he radiates such purity, such goodness. He's my inspiration. I know he's your inspiration, especially those of you that have been around forever, all right? Been around, I mean, for 25 years seems like forever to these young people. So just admit it, accept it, embrace it. You're old, all right? But it just takes one bulb of light to shine in a dark place. Amen? And that's what you and I are called to be by the Lord. And you know, that verse, though, is right after the story of the woman caught in adultery. And you know the story. I'm not going to read the story. It's up there on the screen. But we know the story. We've grown up with it. This woman was drug out of her house in the midst of committing the sin of adultery with a man that she wasn't married to. She was brought before Jesus by the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the legalists of the day, just to trap Jesus to see what he would do with her, to see if he would stone her, because he's been reaching out and loving the the, the sinners, those wretched sinners out there, you know? And these religious people are so upset that Jesus loves sinners. What's the matter with him? He's a rabbi and he loves sinners. And they're not repenting. He's loving them before they repent. What is the matter? He he calls himself a rabbi. Can you believe it? So they're upset about it. And they want to trap Jesus. And so they bring this woman and they want her to stone this woman. See, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's capital crime to commit adultery in the Jewish culture. This woman is sentenced to die. To be guilty of that sin, she's on death row as she's walking from her house to the public square where Jesus, that's death row. She's about to die. And they say, hey, according to the law, this woman deserves to die. Jesus, what are you going to do? And you know, you just love the Lord. He responds right away. He debates with them philosophically, theologically, spiritually. Doesn't he? Oh, what gospel is he reading from? No, I missed that. Oh, you know the story. He pins down and writes on the crowd. And you know, John, that rascal, doesn't even tell us what he writes. But you know, I'm a doctor of ministry. I know. Oh yeah, you learn that stuff. You know, all those nuances, all the trivia of the Bible. That's, that's why you earn a doctor. You know, doctor degree. Yeah. All that worthless stuff you don't need to know, really. So what do you write on the crowd? You know, we really just guess, but I'm not going to tell you I'm guessing. But this is what he wrote. Just believe it, all right? He wrote their sins. He wrote their names. He he wrote all those people that were accusing the woman. He wrote their name and then he wrote their sin. They wouldn't have walked away. He started with the older ones first. Because we got lots of sin, don't we, older folks? 
We've been around a long time. We've screwed up a lot, you know? So you start with the older ones, and they saw their name down there, and they saw their sin, and so they walked away. And he said, the ones without, without sin cast the first stone, so they all began to walk away. They walked away. See, that's Jesus being the light of the world in a dark place. He was an advocate for justice and mercy. And he says to the woman, he's an advocate for justice because he challenged those that were being so self-righteous. See, they brought the woman, but they didn't bring the man. It's not fair. Takes two to commit adultery. I might not be a smart man, but I got that one figured out. All right. Didn't bring the woman, the man. Just brought the woman. And Jesus stands up for justice. He stands up for what's not right. We worship a God of fairness and justice and righteousness. That's even why Jesus had to die on the cross, because God's righteous and just. Sin had to be paid for. Sin's serious. But God hates injustice and unequal weights and unfairness. So Jesus challenged them. They all walked away and he... Then he stood up and was an advocate for the poor, the adulterous woman. In verse 10, he says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? See, you have to have three accusers in the Jewish culture to be condemned. You have to have at least two witnesses. And there's not even one. Just Jesus is left. He says, well, verse 11 then neither do I condemn you. So that's gospel. I decided about eight years ago, all I'm going to preach anymore is gospel. I was a hatchet man of the kingdom for many years. You may have heard me preach. You may have been bloodied by me years ago. Yeah, I, I did the circuit. They asked me to come to different seminars. And, you know, they'd have, you know, one of those teaching lessons, and they'd have, you know, one of these serving lessons, one of these encouraging lessons, one of these evangelism lessons, one of these discipleship lessons, and they'd have a sin lesson. And that was Moretzky's. Man, some of us, we learn how to bring the hammer. You know, like I said, Hispanic people get into your heart, you know, some of us, you know, Polish Nazis, we know how to hammer you. You know, yeah, East Germany, that's where my relatives came from. I thought it was Poland. Poland's a pretty nice country. People like Polish people. And then I found out, no, you're from Germany. But this is gospel. I don't know about you, but I need to hear that. I need to hear, neither do I condemn you. See, I quit the ministry nine years ago. And I really didn't even completely figure out why I did until about two months ago. Two months ago, I'm in a counseling group. I'm in a counseling program. Some of us, we can't leave school. We've graduated many times, but we just keep going back. You know, I don't know. Some, I'm sure some psychologist is going to figure out, I think I, deep down, I think I'm stupid, and so I keep going to school. I don't know. I don't know. That that hadn't been surfaced yet, all right? 
But I'm, my wife uh, is a therapist, and uh, in our retirement, we're going to uh, do therapy together, and so I'm trying to get a license in therapy. And yeah, I have plenty of graduate degrees already, but uh, uh, you know, what's one, what's one more? What's one more? I think this is number six. So, uh, but I'm, uh, so before you can counsel people in a group, they want you to experience group counseling. And they've got a real great way of doing it. Go one weekend, 10 hours each day, 20 hours in a 48-hour time. So they can really break you down. And so I signed up for my 20-hour, two-day group. And I walk in there and, oh my goodness, what a shocker. 15 women and me. under the age of 35 and yes I'm I shot right past 50 several years ago yeah you don't need to know exactly what age I I look younger than I really am so yeah especially with the coat on and so you know I'm a little hesitant I've decided right at the beginning I'm going to be a little guarded here alright I'm not letting these women shave me up, all right? And uh, this therapist was amazing. She'd draw things out of folks, and person after person were having breakthroughs in their life. I was learning so much about group counseling. It was amazing. I mean, things were coming out, and people were, were just being fixed. It was amazing, and I'm thinking, okay, do I want to try this? This is risky. And I calculated. You know, I used to be an engineer, and so I'm thinking, okay, why don't you do it at the end of the first day? So if it's really a bad experience, you can go home and sleep it off. And then you're done, and then they won't pick on you the whole second day, all right? And you won't feel that pressure that, okay, everybody's gone but you. And so now uh, Moretzky's on the hot seat, all right? And so I, did, I had it all calculated. So about 4 o'clock, we're supposed to end at 5. And I, and I can handle an hour on the hot seat. All right? Because I've been on the hot seat before. All right? Have you ever been on the hot seat? Okay. You, you, good. You'll enjoy it someday. Anyway. So what came out, and let's get to the point of the story, right? was... I thought they'd bring out some grief because my brother had died before that my dad had died. and I thought there'd be some residual grief and pain there that I had just stuffed. But what came out was shame. What were you shameful about, Greg? Well, I'm glad you asked. No, I'm not glad you asked. I really don't want to go there, but it's, we need to be real. God makes us visual aids. I'm like this woman, this adulterous woman. Adultery, sex wasn't my sin. My sin before I was a Christian was rage. I wasn't just an angry man. I was an out-of-control angry man. I was so afraid of my father growing up, so afraid of my older brother, who became a criminal, a drug addict, a drug pusher, eventually died. He used to beat the trash out of me. Dad would beat him, he'd beat me, and I couldn't fight back because he was a big, strong guy. My whole life, I kept 
lifting weights, getting bigger and stronger. He kept getting bigger and stronger. It's just not fair, you know. I really thought I was going to get to that point where I could whip that guy. Never got there. And so I just stuffed a bunch of anger. And it'd come out every once in a while in rage. And before I became a Christian, I did some terrible things to people. Terrible, hurt people physically, bad, bad, bad things. And I thought, there's no way I'm telling 15 women. And here I am telling you. <laughs> What's the matter with me? Ah, they helped me. Out came shame. See, there's a difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is you did something wrong. And you shouldn't have done that. And so you need to repent. You did something wrong. But you're not bad. We're sinners. We do bad things. That's why Jesus loves sinners. And he reached out to sinners. And he calls sinners. And he says, come eat at my table. Let's have the Lord's Supper together. Everybody's welcome at my table because I love everybody. And I know you're sinful. You're human. And I've been living around you. And you guys are reprobates. But, you know, I can fix you. And so he calls them and he loves them and, and he loves sinners. And he, I know you're guilty. Just admit it. Just repent. Let's just get real. Let's just talk about it. But the Lord doesn't think you're shameful. He doesn't think you're bad. He knows you're made in the image of his father. You're made in the image of God. But Satan lies to us and tells us we're bad. And so for 45 years, deep down, I didn't know it, but those 15 women pulled it out that I thought I was bad because I had such a bad temper. And this therapist asked a simple question. When was the last time you lost your temper, Greg? Can't remember. 20, 25 years Really lost my temper about 35 years ago for as a Christian. So you're a really bad person, a person that's so bad, you don't think any of us would like you if you admitted it. Because 35 years ago, you had an anger problem and rage problem and didn't control it. But you've been controlling it for 35 years. Greg, I think there's some there's a discrepancy in your thinking. You know, we have it. We have these screwed up circuits in our heads, don't we? That the Lord comes along and says, You're forgiven. Neither do I condemn you. Do you love a God of mercy? That's who we have. We have a God of mercy. And you guys back there in the media, don't worry. If I don't get through three or four slides, it's okay. They're sitting there. He isn't going to make it. He isn't going to make it. Look at all these slides. He isn't going to make it. Go forward. One more key slide. Past the moment of truth. Past the rekindling of light. Past the identity theft. And you're wondering, gosh, what was he going to say about that? Who cares? Who cares? All right. Go to the one that says love, agape, or like phileo. Turn your Bibles over to John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. And we're going to end with this. 
Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. A third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And after Jesus asked the question and Peter responded, he also said, feed my sheep. Serve the poor. Feed the sheep. Take care of one another. Love one another. But this passage has great meaning for me, and I, I want to share it with you. I'd heard this. I'd studied Greek. I knew there were different Greek words here, but I didn't apply them to me. What Jesus is saying to Peter is, do you agape me, meaning do you love me enough to lay down your life and die for me? And when you're idealistic, when you have a dream, when you're a part of a cause... You're ready to die for that cause. That's why soldiers sign up for, for, for the service. That's why we get passionate about giving our all. I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. Jesus is the Lord of my life. I agape you, Lord. And we become Christians with agape love. And Jesus is asking Peter, do you agape me? And Peter's supposed to reply. He's supposed to say, Lord, I agape you. You know all things, I agape you. But what does he say? Lord, I phileo you. Lord, I like you. Oh, that makes the Lord feel great. (laughs) My wife's name is Kathy. Kathy, I agape you. Well, Greg, I phileo you. Kathy, I'm in love with you. I'm passionately, I love you with all my heart. I want to live the rest of my life with you. Greg, you're my friend. (laughs) That's what this conversation is. Jesus is asking Peter, do you agape me? And Peter says, I used to say that. And then in the moment of truth, I denied you three times, even to little girls. I'm going to be real. I'm going to be honest with you, Lord. I like to say I agape you, but you know, I haven't proven that. I can only phileo you right now. I can only like you. That's all I can muster. That's that's me. I want to please you. I've tried to please you for three years. I've been the first to dive in. I remember I was the first to jump in the water and walk on water, but then I sank. I was the first to want to build on the Mount of Transfiguration, the, 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 the monument for you, the altar for you. And God even rebuked me that day and said, shut up, Peter, listen to my son. Every time I really try to please you, Lord, I fail. In the garden, I was going to die for you. I pulled out the sword. I swung the sword and I cut off the guy's ear. I was I trying to cut off his head. And he said, Peter, what's the matter with you? Get your sword, put your sword down. Those that live by the sword and die by the sword. And every time I try, I fail you, Lord. I would like to say I got you, but I just flail you. And this morning, 
There's a lot of you that really love the Lord and you can say, I agape you. And there's some in here that can only say, I like the Lord. He's my friend. Well, be careful even with that one. Because after, when Jesus asked Peter the third time, he says, Peter, do you phileo me? Jesus, let it be. Okay. He didn't say, do you agape me? He said, do you like me? Do you really like me? And Peter says, yeah, I'm hurt, Lord. I'm admitting, I'm being real. You know all things. You know that I like you. Say, good, lead the movement. You're in charge now. I'm going up to heaven. You're the boss. Lead the movement. That's good enough for me. You know, lead the movement. Feed my sheep. Feed them, Peter. That's how you're going to prove your loyalty. You want to be a rock? You thought a rock was killing other people? Being a rock is feeding the sheep for a lifetime. Being faithful for a lifetime. Just doing that daily ministry stuff. Just feed the sheep. And then Peter says, but do it your whole life. Follow me. And guess what? In the end, you're going to die like me. They're going to lead you to where you don't want to go. And you will die for me. And then Peter says, okay, I'm off the hot seat. What about him? You know the story. What about him? Peter, don't worry about him. Just follow me. Feed the sheep. See, Peter thought he was off the hook. He thought, Lord, I just, I just like you. John, I mean, he even wrote it in the gospel. He loves you. He's, he's the beloved one. You know, I'm the, I'm the, the big fisherman. Perfect. You lead the movement. You know, there's times in my life I've loved God with all my heart, soul, and mind and strength. And there's other times my faith has been, you know, bumping along. And I never have hated the Lord, but sometimes I've just could only say I like him. He's my friend. But I sure wish he'd answer a few more prayers. You just got to be real, folks. And I know this group loves, loves the Lord and likes the Lord, and that's good enough. Amen? See, we got to take that perfection bar away. I tried to ride the perfection bar. That's what burned me out and what caused me to quit the ministry. I couldn't do it. I couldn't be perfect. I need a God of grace and mercy. And then I thought I was off the hook. I was an engineer. I thought I could be an engineer the rest of my life. They called me back in the ministry. No, no, that's, you know, I need you to lead the Omaha church. I said, Lord, I'm happy here. This is home. Rocky Mountain, you're telling, move from Colorado to Nebraska. Buffaloes hate Huskers. <laughs> Lord says, I got a sense of humor. Go do it. It's been awesome. I love it in Omaha, but I love the LA church. And I love the central region. I've watched you grow and watched you you inspire the rest of us. The rest of us love you and care about you. Let's continue to love the Lord. Let's be light, the light of the world. God bless.